is what the script that I've got to speak to you about today is one other, and it's found in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7, the gift of singleness. Now, hardly ever have I heard someone say, I would love the gift of singleness. Sure, I'd love to be more, have more faith, I'd love to have um, be a, an evangelist. But very rarely do you see someone say, I would love the gift of teaching. I'm um, sorry, that's sorry, the gift of singleness. So if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter, you should be there in um, chapter 7. I'm just going to read verse 7. And it says this, For I wish to speak to you, that all men were given as myself, but each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner, and another in that. The big issue that comes up here, and um, Ross and um, and also mentioned it, this idea was, was Paul single? Um, so was he, uh, yeah, was Paul single? That's the question. And the arguments that usually go that Paul wasn't single goes like this. All Pharisees were married. Paul was a Pharisee, therefore Paul was married. Now let's repeat that again. This is the argument that Paul wasn't single, that he was married. All Pharisees were married, Paul was a Pharisee, therefore Paul had to be married. That's, that's usually the extension. <laughs> However, that's not quite true. Um, and we'll carry on with one more to that. There was something in the Jewish um, setting which was called the Sanhedrin. And this was made up of 71 men. Now, everyone in the Sanhedrin had to be married. So someone that was part of Sanhedrin was a requirement to be married. It stems from Numbers chapter 11 verse 16 16, where Moses, um, he's, he's working with the people, and as he's working, um, it just becomes too much for the judges as he has to make, and then he, he gets 70 hours of help and um, life in the load. Um, so that was where the idea came from. But more than likely, it happened in the middle here. Then period. So after the last book of the Old Testament, um, and then well, the New Testament, that's where this group actually got established, the Sanhedrin, of um, which we have in the Lord Jesus' time. So to be a member of this group, that one had to be married. Um, and the 71 is to do with, for the time of the Lord Jesus, the one was the high priest. So the high priest, and then you had 70 others that were part of this Sanhedrin. So let's look at the groups of the people that were in there. First of all, there were the chief priests, and there were 24 of these, and it's based off 1 Chronicles 24. So there were 24 chief priests. These were Levites who would go down to the chief priests, and they would do the Levitical priesthood and look after the people. Next group that was in the Sanhedrin were scribes. Now these guys were the secretaries of state. So like in the time of the kings, they would take the orders from the king and then they would um, carry that out. They were actually looking after the state and carrying those things and the welfare of it. Later on, after the Babylonian captivity, is where they, they really became the idea of um, scribes being copying the text from the manuscript to manuscript and all those kinds of things, of absolutely keeping um, the word of God complete and um, throughout the, the, the times. The next group in there is the elders. So this is the last group, and they were made up um, of ones that were respectable, just like we'd, um, and that were men of renown sort of thing. 
So that's the, the ones that were inside the Sanhedrin. So all 71 of these members had to be married. The next one is the Pharisees. Now, you could be a chief priest. This, the Pharisees was like a sect. It's a belief of what you believed in. So you had the Pharisees, and they, they could be part of the chief priest, the scribes, all the elders. And these men, they, they absolutely had the Bible, and the scribes would copy it letter for letter as they copied these things down. But sadly, they also believed in what? The tradition of men. And that's where the Pharisaical whole side came in. So um, these guys were Pharisees. Um, that's where they are. Then there was also another group, which was the Sadducees. And these ones, um, now the elders group was made up of the, the grouping of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Primarily the scribes were Pharisaical in, in their... Um, their thinking, um, but there was this group of elders was made up of both of these groups. The big thing about the Sadducees, you might remember, is they were talking about one of their things was about the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. It's a great way to remember the Sadducees is just to say, because they didn't remember the, the they didn't think that there was such a thing as the resurrection, they were sad, you see? So that's a way just to keep you a reminder of the Sadducees. So now the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they could make up the group of the elders. Now here we have Paul's writing in this. It says in, in Acts chapter 26, verse 5, Paul says, I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. Paul indeed was a, was a Pharisee, but that did not mean that all Pharisees were married. And to try and explain this, it would be like the eldership that we have here at Hukunui. We have elders here, and if I'm going to name us as a sect, like a, a section, I'm just going to say we're, we're open brethren. Okay, so that's the so we've got the elders that are in the church, and we have the the body, and we'll maybe part of Hukunui about a sect. We're not of the Sadducees. We're going to be saying that we're of the open brethren. Now, everyone that, is, that has to be an elder, just like in the, San, the time of the Old Testament with the Sanhedrin, um, had to be married, which is a requirement of the New Testament for elders to be married. However, not everybody that is in the church has to be married. We might all be of the sect of the open brethren, but that doesn't mean that we're all, that we're all married. And the same thing is with the Pharisees, is that they were... Paul was a Pharisee, the highest of the Pharisees, and absolutely he would have been like an apprentice in training to be maybe one of the Sanhedrin. But it doesn't mean that he was actually married because he was a Pharisee. It's a bit of a change. It's just because of the common thought that many of the, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders were Pharisees, and because they were married that maybe Paul was married. But I, um, I obviously oppose this view. What we're going to do is just jump back to... Um, Chapter 7, verse 7, and it's more because of this. It says, if we just look at the text, For I wish that all men were even as myself. Paul's desire is that everybody would be single. That's his hope, that everybody, all men, would be as himself. But he says, but each one has what? His own gift. That... The gift of singleness is not for all, but for those that have got that spiritual gift. Now, I've got to make a big differentiation here. This gift of singleness is someone, it's not because you're single you have the gift of singleness. Many single people might not have that, that gift. 
But certain people that are single have this gift of singleness. And we're going to go through in a bit of looking into what that actually is. Um, now it also says that in all of the places where Paul lists his credentials about being a Pharisee, all the things that he says so much about himself about, he never once mentions that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He mentions so many things about himself and all the qualifications and the things that he had done in the past and where he had been, never once does he say he was a Sanhedrin. He always mentions that the highest in the order, he was a, a Pharisee. So that's an interesting thing. But more than that for me, it's because it's a spiritual gift. Um, and because he had this spiritual gift from God, it wasn't that he was married and then became single. I've, I've far rather take the, the view that I would take it from scriptures of what he said, that he himself was single um, and that it was a gift from God. You know, the only one that had all the spiritual gifts in one was found in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, Jesus, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Lord Jesus had all the spiritual gifts in one. And that's why we as the church, whichever spiritual gifts we have, and we'll never ever receive all of the spiritual gifts. And the purpose for that is that I need you and you need me. The whole idea is that the body needs each other to work together, and that's the whole thing that none of us will ever have all of the spiritual gifts. But the Lord Jesus had that, that spiritual gift. So the topic that I was given today, as you can see I've been procrastinating, <laughs> is reasons for remaining single. So um, even when I was starting to look into this, I felt like a little bit like a hypocrite, you know, like <laughs> who am I to be saying? I, this is why you should say single, but that's why I really wanted to go um, and zone in on the gift. It's more if you have that gift of singleness rather than you're just going to be single and you're just going to tough it out and it doesn't matter what happens, I'm just going to stay single. It's, it's a spiritual gift um, and I think it's something to be aware of. But there's other people that, like I said, that are single and they might not have this gift. Um, and it doesn't mean... Um, there's amazing application in here as well for those people that are single, um, and we'll carry on with that as well. So let's read from verse 25 through to verse 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, reading from verse 25. It says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this—sorry, uh, therefore—that this is good because of the present distress. That it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. But I would spare you. The first group that he's talking to is, is virgins, concerning virgins. And I want you to just zone in on that. He's talking about um, the virginity, someone that's single and, and pure. Um, that's who he's talking to. And then he says, Paul says that he has no commandment from the Lord. What he's saying, there was no direct teaching at the time of Paul with the Lord Jesus on the subject. So there wasn't a direct thing that Jesus said that he's um, writing down here. But he says, but I give judgment... Um, as one whom the Lord in his mercy made trustworthy. You can trust the inspiration 
of the scriptures. That's the amazing thing with the Bible is that the is that God has chosen men in their own personalities and the way that they do things so that God would give his exact words as he would like to describe them through the way in which people operate. It's just fantastic. It's, it's just um, amazing. And that's what um, God does here. He's saying that God in his mercy has made Paul trustworthy, and you can believe what he's saying because Paul is trustworthy in this matter. And then he says that, this present distress in verse 26. It's good to, because of the present distress. Now, it could be about this issue of singleness that they wrote to Paul, but, but also in our lives, we also have present distress of life. So there's, there could have been a, a specific thing that was dealing with this idea of um, singleness for, and what to do with it. Um, but, but also we have that right here um, in our lives. And then he says um, that it's good for a man to just remain as he is, to just take stock and just sit and just check where you are. Now, in verse 27 says, are you bound to a wife? Now, um, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loose. And are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. When I was first looking at this, I was trying to decide, is it the idea of bound? Was it tied up in um, the bound being in someone that you would... Um, an agreement had already been made, maybe someone that, like a fiancé and a... The bound of being is someone that was, um, like in the Jewish culture, they might have had the marriage covenant way earlier in their lives and then later on been married later on. So I was trying to see, is this word bound, is it talking about someone that isn't married but has um, got a fiancé or is it talking about someone that is married and not to be loosed from it? So what I thought I'd do is I'd jump into the Greek and have a look at this word bound. Surely there might be something in the word bound that would give me the you know, the, the answer that um, I was looking for. So just having a bit of fun, are you bound to a wife? This word bound is also translated in two other ways in the Bible. And this is, I'm just going to read a couple of the other ways. I'm going to take the word out bound and put in a word which was uh, found in other parts of the Bible for the same Greek word. First one, are you imprisoned to a wife? <laughs> the same Greek word, are you imprisoned to a wife? Okay. And, and an even better one is this one. Are you put in chains to a wife? <laughs> so, so I'm not going to go down that track, but, but I think Paul took the right translation and he said, are you bound? Are you tied? Are you united? That was the whole idea. And, and yeah, definitely the, the idea behind it is actually that it's talking about a married person. Um, so you not put in chains and are you not, but are you, are you united? to um, a wife. If you are, you to stay as you are. Don't seek to be loose. Don't seek to suddenly become single. And it's because of covenant, hugely because of promises that have been made of the closest relationships that you can have on this earth with uh, the husband and wife relationship. And, and God holds that hugely important because of actually what it means between the church and, and um, Christ and other things like that. So that's an amazing thing. So don't seek to be to be loosed if you're bound, if you're already married. Um, and if you're not married, do not seek a wife. Um, and then it says, um, just in verse 20, 28 at the end of that, it says that, Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I will spare you. You might be talking about the family life troubles. He's saying that I'll, I'll spare you from all the, the things that happen in family life. I won't go through all of those things. He also might be talking about the physical side as well of, of the, the curse that was for 
for Eve and childbearing and things like that, but also might be just the list of things that comes with marriage, all these other responsibilities and how they all work that he's saving us from explaining in this, this part right here. And then let's just jump down to um, verse 29 to 31. So let's start reading again. But I say this, brethren, the time is short, so that from now, from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they who did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who the world who sorry, and those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. What he's going to do now is jump onto the next section and say the time is short. Okay, so this whole thing of troubles of the world and uh, the, it's, he's going to jump out of this earthly sort of connection and go like, let's look at a bigger picture. Let's jump into a, a bigger area of the, the meaning of life. And then we're going to hopefully from here, if we get time, we'll jump again into a bigger picture again and um, look at that. So the first one is the time is short. First of all, he says, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, this in no way excludes the duty of a husband to his wife and the role that a husband should have in his life. But what he's meaning here is that the husband-wife relationship, as close as that is, it should always be God that's the focus. He's the one that's got to be the centre. Um, and yes, there's absolutely this um, relationship going to the husband and wife, but it's responsibility for them is also to be in front of the Lord. Um, and it will be as those that had wives shouldn't be as though should be as though they had none. So that's the, the first group that he's looking at. The second one is those who weep as though they did as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Extreme emotion, the opposite ends of emotion. So someone that might be weeping versus someone that is rejoicing. Okay, so it might be even in the case of a single person, maybe that doesn't have the gift of singleness, but yet they really desired a husband or a wife. Now, in this person, there might be weeping that goes on. There's a, there's a yearning and there's actually that, um, could be that part of it. And then the other side of the spectrum would be the absolute opposite where you're thinking someone's on their, on their day of marriage and there's great rejoicing. What he's saying here is it doesn't matter where you are emotionally, whether you're weeping, whether you're rejoicing, if it's for the Lord and your heart is for the Lord, in both of those things you're going to be, the one that's weeping is going to be like the one that's rejoicing or the one that's rejoicing as though they're weeping. It doesn't matter where we are in our emotional spectrum. It's Again, it's like God that is the important thing. Um, and it's a great, a great thing to have. The next one is those who buy as though they did not possess. It's like the, those that have possessions versus those that are poor. Again, on the spectrum, it's not bad to have possessions, but it's what are the possessions for. Um, and again, it's got to be God that is in the focus. Then those who use this world as, though, as those not misusing it. You know, the world gives us many things. It gives us food, clothing, gives us pleasures of life. And that's great, but they can also be huge distractions. Um, and many would use this world as in even doing things for the Lord because of what it offers. Um, and that, that's, an, again, just in perspective, it's just to think it doesn't matter what is in this world that we can use even for the Lord, but don't let the worldly things be a distraction to us. Just 
just take it from all of these things. Um, just keep going for the Lord and have him in the focus. And in verse 31, we have the reason. For, this, for the form of this world is passing away. No, we're in such a time where the, the natural disasters things are increasing more and more, and you can absolutely see the curtain is closing. It's all being drawn in. The, thing, the world is passing away. All of these things, possessions and all of these motions, everything is just going to shut down as the world starts passing away because the ultimate goal is to be with the Lord and what that, that means. So now let's have a look at um, verses 32 to 35. It says this, But I want you to be without care. This is talking to the virgins in verse 25. I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of this world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in both in body and, and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of this world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may, be, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So the first thing that he's giving for the um, is to be without the cares of the of the world, and that's what he's talking about. When he's saying there in verse 32, "I want you to be without care," he's obviously not just saying who cares about anything, about whether you're rich. Or, he's, he's talking about the cares of the world. So he's talking about the husband-wife troubles, the, the the emotions where you are in that spectrum, whether you have possessions or whether you're poor, whether um, you use this world. Um, or those, or you're misusing it. He's just like, drop the troubles of the world. Be without care of this world. And then he gives us an amazing next part, and it says, caring for the things of the Lord without distraction. This is what the spiritual gift of singleness is all about. It's someone that has that gift, cares about the things of the Lord without distraction. Now, there's many, like many of us that are married, um, absolutely, it's not the excusing that, that we, we shouldn't be caring about the things of the Lord, obviously, but just in natural life we are going to have those relationships and issues and dealing with things and where the Lord's leading and how to work together, those kinds of things. It's a distraction that single people with the gift of singleness do not have in that same degree. And they can be without distraction and they can be more set apart. That's another key issue. They're actually separated for a specific reason, an amazing thing that God does. Now the next three verses are um, verses that <laughs> were problems in. Some commentators say that it's um, the hardest verses in the, um, the chapter, but more than that, it's the hardest verses in the book of Corinthians. So I was absolutely happy to get these verses. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. Um, and... I'm going to show you what I mean. So we'll, won't read them. We're going to actually look at it in a different translation to start off with. And we're, first of all, we're going to look at a bit from the NASB. Now, if you can see the, the words that are in red, these are the words that are, um, that are debated. It's the, the pronouns, whether it's talking about he or she, um, they, her, he. The, in the Greek, it's not defining which way it is, whether it's a he or a she. 
Um, because of that, you'll see the passages, different Bibles have interpreted it. Some are talking about he, some are she, so that's why they're in red. And, um, and we'll go through that. So this is the NASB thinking of it. It says, but if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, okay, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who, give, who does not give her daughter in marriage will do better. The whole context here from the NASB is it's talking about a father who um, looks after his household, and he has his daughter, and so he's got this daughter, Danielle, for me. And for me, I'm going to say, okay, um, Danielle, you, you are allowed to get married. But if I say to her, no, Danielle, I don't think you should be married. You are going to stay a virgin. Then in verse 38, it says, so then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well. So if I gave Danielle to be married, that's a good thing. And he who does not give her in marriage does better. Do you see the problems and the complications that comes from this thinking that it's talking about the father giving away his daughter? It's saying that I have the control over Danielle and that if I say to her, no, you cannot marry, then she is to stay single. The problem with that is that we're talking about what? A gift of singleness, not a forceful gift. It would be like me to say to everyone here today, we now all have the gift of, um, of a pastor Let's go and all be pastors. You can't just name someone that's got that spiritual gift and say, right, everyone, let's go. We're all pastors now. And it's the same with this. That's the NASB's way of looking and then how they've translated it. Next, we're going to go to um, the English Standard Version. And in this context, it's looking at a man to his betrothed. So it's not looking at a, a father giving away the daughter, but a, a man who is... Um, Engaged, and it says this in verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever firmly is, who is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire kept under control, and has determined with his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries... His betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So in the, the ESV, it's talking about the idea of someone that's engaged. So someone that's engaged to his wife, um, again, it's the same problem, especially in verse 37. And the last part, he says, has determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed. So it's this idea of two people being engaged, and it's better to actually be a person that is going to keep the person just as a fiancé, but you're not actually going to get married. Again, it's the same problems. It's, it's just uh, you've got huge implications of what that's actually meaning or how that would work, or, and we know it doesn't. That's the thing. Trying to tell someone, no, you can't because I've decided it for you. Um, yeah, it's definitely not what the spiritual gifts are about. Next, we won't go too much more on that. It has the NIV. We won't read it, but the, the difference in this one is in um, it's the same idea. It's someone that who is engaged. But in verse 37, it says, But the man who has settled this matter in his own heart 
sorry, in his own mind, and who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So NIV is taking the same principle, but it's letting the, the virgin go. It's, um, and it makes a little bit more, more sense because you're sort of thinking of um, he's betrothed, he's decided in his own heart that he's going to stay single, and so he's not marrying the one that he was um, engaged to. So that's the, the next thought on the NIV. Troublesome. Even worse is, this is, I'm not going to go into that, it's the, the Greek interlinear Bible. On the top, you just see the Strong's numbers. So, I think it's still. So, yeah, these are the numbers here about the, from the Strong's concordance. The next line down is um, how to say the, the Greek word in English. The next is the Greek itself. And then under that, we have a translation into um, English. And then the last line is things like conjunctions and English um, grammar, those kinds of things. But all I want to show you here is this word here. So you see the number up there? It's 3933. And here it's been translated virgin. Um, and then if I go to the, the next page, um, if I go on here, you'll see that same... Okay, there we go. Down. There's the same number, 3933, and this time it's translated virginity. So, well, it can, be, it can be done as virgin or virginity. And all these other pronouns, the he, she, could go either way. It can be he or she. And that's why it's such a problem when people were trying to do this, this verse. So, I'm not going to try and leave you hanging. I'm going <laughs> to try and show you what I think on the issue. And if there's any problems at all, go and see the elders. They'll, uh, <laughs> they'll, they'll get out the Greek and, the, and they'll sort it out and, and go and see them. Um, they're really good at that stuff. So the last translation that I'm going to go to is the King James Version. Okay, so there's no – don't think at all that I'm thinking about the versions of the Bible, but I've, I've got the, the King James Version. Again, the ones in red are the ones that can be either the he or she. Um, and then I've just – in yellow – this is where I've, I've put in some of the things that's, that's different from the King James Version, uh, which is just the so instead of virgin being virginity, and then the he and her. So let's read this in a different and with just it was the it was the version with the least amount of um, tweaking that for me made sense of the whole issue. And it says this now, verse 25 says concerning virgins. Okay, so we, I'm going to read it in the masculine about the he, but it could also be for the woman as well. Okay, so now concerning virgins. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomingly towards his virginity, if he pass the flower of his age and need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth, and lot, he sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his own virginity, doeth well. So then he that giveth in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth not in marriage doeth better. For me, it's where I sit the most comfortable. It was actually about virgins, and it's talking about the virginity of the person themselves, whether it was male or female. And the fact that if you have that spiritual gift and you're purposed in your heart, to keep that 
for the Lord, your dedication, you want to be without distraction, and it's for the Lord, then because of that and you've determined in your heart, it's saying, then stay that way. But there's no binding of someone else, and it's about you and God, about your place and your singleness, and about what um, God is wanting to do with you. So, yeah, that was a tricky part of the the passage, obviously. Um, What I'm going to do is just stream through these because our time's up, and I I just want to jump out one more realm into a, a bigger picture again. And just look at Israel as the the example. First of all, it says, I'm just going to use Israel in this idea of this relationship between, when we have think about the church, we think about Christ, the Christ and the church. When we think about Israel, it's it's, um, Jehovah and Israel. And so what I just want to do is run really quickly through um, just these things extremely quick. So the first one is there was a marriage contract. This started in the Mosaic Law. So this is where Deuteronomy, although the book of Deuteronomy um, looks quite similar to some of the other Old Testament books, Deuteronomy is actually the contract. It's the marriage contract, which is why it repeats so many things of the other books. It's the marriage contract between Jehovah, God, and the people of Israel. And it says that God entered into the covenant with his people of Israel, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God announces his jealousy over his wife Israel because of, he says, don't go after other gods. This is the Mosaic law. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God's reason for choosing Israel is stated there, it's because the Lord loved you. He's going to show an amazing picture of the relationship, that you, the closest one that we can have here on earth, between, but he's going to look at God and Israel. The reason God chose Israel is because the Lord loved you. It's out of love. That's where it stemmed from, this, this relationship. Stage two is the, the great adultery. Jeremiah 3, Israel and, and many of the other prophets speak about the, the guiltiness of Israel and that they were playing the harlot with many lovers. That's what um, Jeremiah is saying. So the Lord had he'd given them the marriage contract, they were married to him, and yet all Israel did was play the harlot. In Jeremiah 31, verse 32, he says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke. So there is a breaking of this covenant that does happen. And then the words, I was a husband unto them, saith Jehovah. Contract was made under the Levitical law. There was um, stage two. And then there's stage three, which was the separation. Isaiah 50 talks about the fact that um, that they, the people had played the heart and they had been with these many other um, gods and then God said, because of that, I'm going to separate you. And he, made, and he had a separation. So that was the time where God didn't give them the spiritual blessings. May, maybe then Israel would return to their, their husband, but sadly they didn't. We'll just carry on. And then in stage four, there was the great divorce. There was a divorce between um between Jehovah and Israel, and it's found in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. I'm just going to read one verse in verse 8. And I saw when all the causes there were by backsliding Israel committed adultery, I put her away and, and given her a bill of divorcement. There was actually the marriage covenant, there was the separation after their harlotry, and then he gives her actual bill of divorcement. He divorced Israel. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but they went and played the harlot also. Judah also does the same thing, 
and the marriage is annulled as such. But we're looking at it from the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, not from the Abrahamic covenant, the things that are eternal, but from the conditional one starting at the Mosaic law. Stage five, and this is where Israel are at this present time, is the punishment. All of the time, where they're sitting now is that they are still punished from God and the fact that they, you can see it through the persecutions all through their lives and even as it is today and even in the time of the tribulation, the, the Jewish people are in a stage of punishment. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 33 to 45, just going to read the idea. The nations who worship the very gods Israel committed adultery with will be the ones who will invade and destroy the nations of Israel. The exact people that they played the harp through with. Again, it's just a, an amazing thing. And the last one is the new covenant. Now this covenant is found in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And it's, the covenant here says that it's with Israel and with Judah. Okay? And it says in Isaiah 54, it says, For your maker is your husband. And then this last verse in Hosea, sorry we're going so quick, but it says, No longer will you call me Ba'ali, but Ishi. These are the two Hebrew words. Both today are still the same words that you use in Hebrew for saying your husband. So if a wife is talking about her husband, she'll say Ba'ali or she'll say Ishi. So, and it means the same thing, my husband. They have a different reference. Um, Ba'ali means more, like it's, we've got to translate it in English, it says my master. It's that, that, that idea of being the master with, um, or being under the master, being under that rule. But the word ishi means my man. So what it's actually saying is it's not the relationship because of being under the master, but because you're connected in the, like the husband-wife relationship. And this is what he says to the nation of Israel. When it comes after the tribulation, no longer will you call me Ba'ali, but Ishi. We are going to be like the picture of a husband and a wife. It's an amazing picture. So why did I bring that up when we're talking about singleness? Just in closing, the, the idea with singleness is that, as you can see for Israel, they in the Mosaic law, that was um, they had the, the covenant, they were divorced, um, and then all of a sudden after that we have the new covenant where God would then say, I'm making a new covenant, a new marriage with the nation of Israel, which will take place, especially after the time of the tribulation. Now, the amazing thing with this is that it's all about relational covenants. God with Israel, that's what he's been trying to show as a picture. Um, and then for us as humans on this earth, the closest relationship that we can have on this earth apart from that relationship with God, is a, is a husband and wife relationship. This is where the amazing thing of the gift of singleness comes in, is that for the single person that has the gift of singleness, they've never divorced the Lord. But more than that, they don't need the horizontal relationship with another person. They just only need the vertical connection. It's almost like they're bypassing the marriage stage because they're already getting closer to the heavenly. But it's only with those that have that gift of singleness, not just that everybody that is single. And that's an amazing concept when you think about what it actually means. Is it someone that has such a heart for God and they're determined to, to be for the Lord that they don't need that other relationship, but they just need that tuning into God because he is like the husband to them. It's such a, a relationship that doesn't have to go in the same vertical way. Um, so just a thought as well for us as, as a church is to 
and what it's done for me especially is to think about people that are single maybe in the church or others that we know that are single. I think it can be a real shame to almost, if you think that someone has got that gift, to be saying, when are you going to get married? Or keep talking to them about marriage and about, um, you know, why aren't you married or things like that. It's because they actually have a spiritual gift. Some people don't, and it's, it's discernment between who has and who hasn't. But really the person that, um, that has that gift of singleness is a, an amazing place because it's going to be like there was nothing. And in heaven there's neither marriage nor given, or neither, neither are we given in marriage. Um, and and we'll, we'll finish there. Let's pray. And Father, we just um, thank you, Lord, for, for your word, Lord. And most of all, we thank you for relationships. Lord, we just thank you so much for the, the way in which you care for us, Lord, and the way in which you, you desire for us to have an intimate relationship with you. And Lord, for those that are single, Lord, first of all, I pray for those that um, are single, but maybe they don't have that gift of singleness and they're searching for a partner and they're, they're thinking about what to do, Lord. I just pray for them, Father, that you would help them just to stop and first of all to look up and to tune into you, Lord. Um, Father, that they would be able to look to you and that they would listen and hear, Lord, and that they would be able to marry someone that would be for the purpose of what you've got for them as a couple, Lord, not just as individuals, and not just because they're both believers that they'd get married, but because of the heartache that they're both combined in, Lord, for you and your work. Lord, for those that have that gift of singleness, Lord, I just praise you for them. It's a gift that not many people would strive for, Lord, but those that have it have an amazing gift because of their connection with you, Lord, and about that relationship with you. Just, Lord, we pray for anyone, those that do have that gift, Lord, that you just bless them, encourage them, Lord, and think that they don't need to be married, Lord, and they're not missing anything because they are so blessed because of that connection that they have with you, Lord. And for us as married couples, Lord, just help us to hold all things in perspective, Lord, and keep you as the centre of our lives. Help the, um, the things, Lord, that stand in the way, Lord, that are hindering, Lord, or that are distractions to us. Maybe they, may they be put away, Lord. Just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for that hard topic. 